This is the Greyhorn Pagans Podcast. Here we talk everything paganism, heathenism, witchcraft, mystery, and mythology. Sit back, relax, open your minds, and let us take you back to the days of our ancestors. Welcome everyone to the Greyhorn Pagans Podcast. Once more, once again, on the Greyhorn Pagans podcast, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all the other uh, 71 genders that are out there now, apparently. Uh, welcome. Yeah, I, I see you looking shocked. There are 73 now, less I counted. Or less they I went counted. up two since you said 71 a minute ago? We found two whole new genders. At, <laughs> in the, in that, that's impressive. At the rate we're, uh, we're going now, that would definitely not surprise me. Oh, at 78. Uh, 78. We are at 78, ladies and gentlemen. The leaderboard is right. <laughs> oh, I should I should have like a, a counter in the yeah. in the corner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> off to a great start. Uh, introducing my esteemed guest, Mr. Dylan Brody. Dylan. Uh, thank you for joining. Thank you for uh, being up so early. You just told thank me you. you uh... Thank you for having me. This is a whole different nine o'clock from the one I'm used. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, introduce yourself to the the people who ha- have been living under a rock for the last couple of years and don't know you yet. Um, I, I'm Dylan Brody. I'm a humorist. I'm a storyteller. I'm a filmmaker. I'm an artist. Uh, and I'm also a practicing druid, uh, studying to, you know, be certified as a bard, uh, and then move up to ovate and druidry eventually. But uh, even as I study, I consider myself a practicing druid, um, which is, you know, how I stumbled into you. And I uh, I have a new book coming out uh, in about 18 months. I, I'm just finalizing the contracts now about Merlin that is designed yeah. to... Uh, to use story and uh, the, the 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 modern fantasy novel format uh, to bring I- basic ideas of druidry back into the zeitgeist. Yeah, because uh, speaking of art, the the art of druidry and uh, being a a bard, a storyteller, um, it's something that has been. Uh, I don't want to say suppressed, but forgotten for a long time. Uh, although it's has been uh coming back around a little there are people who are trying to reintroduce the art of storytelling which is quite quite an art uh like i said before we went live i watched your um one of your comedy specials and you have to keep the people engaged for at least an hour and if you're just if you're not interesting if you don't know how to bring it people tune out after five minutes i was but long before i was a storyteller i was a stand-up comic uh and as a comic you learn to deliver a punchline every 15 seconds it is assumed in uh television comedy and modern comedy that there will be at least a four to one laugh per minute ratio uh it's it's the lpm it's uh it's now moved up to five if you're doing television and 
that has become sort of a standard for comics. It's why I don't call myself a comic anymore. I call myself a humorist and storyteller. But ultimately, as a storyteller, we're doing the same thing. It's just we're using sort of more nuanced uh, devices to keep the audience engaged. Uh, I partly, you know, I'm a charming fella. I can, I'm relaxed on stage. I hold the room. And it's, I'm also uh, uh, on the autistic spectrum. So yeah. while I have difficulty one-on-one having a conversation and uh, and making the other person feel as though I'm fully engaged, with a room full of people where I don't have to make eye contact with an individual, where I get to just be in my own head, following my own train of thought, I uh, take on an, elo- an eloquence and a... Uh, a comfort in my own body and and self that I don't have one-on-one in person. On Zoom, this is a weird thing about autism, not about druidry. I I I'm, I run writing workshops on uh, on Zoom and I do coaching on Zoom. Yeah. And it it works very well because I am not looking at you while I'm speaking. It feels as though I am because I'm looking directly into a camera. And this oh. allows me to hear you the way that I comfortably hear you as an autist, you know, as a slightly autistic mm-hmm. person. Um, while you feel as though I'm making perfectly good icon. I realized when I fa- when I got my diagnosis recently that in Hollywood, I've been sabotaging my own career in every meeting for 30 years because I look over people's shoulders while they're talking so that I can hear them. And in Hollywood, that just means I'm looking for someone more interesting to talk. Oh, right. I'm yeah. looking to see who's coming down the street, who, who else I... And it was alienating people, I think, for, with you know, unconsciously for mm-hmm. years without me being aware. Now, putting all this into context of performance and storytelling, with storytelling as opposed to stand-up comedy, there's room for the the general charms uh, of of charisma, right? A little bit of wit that's not necessarily a big laugh. A nice turn of phrase, an interesting image uh, can certainly hold people as well as another laugh. Uh, Television producers and club owners have difficulty understanding this because they're used to that constant sound of laugh. Mm -hmm. But in fact, uh, it's possible to take audiences with, with long form work into more interesting uh, places, not just because I can take them deeper into a story without the constant break of of sound of, of laughter of audience response. Yeah. Uh, you know, in silence, they get to go inside a little bit <laughs> and really follow the story. But also uh, because over time, I'm able to create callbacks and nuanced images and use turns of phrase that then get repeated in new context with new information behind them between the beginning of my show and the end of my show. Uh, there are tricks that I have done through neuro-linguistic programming, through through some some introspective work that I cause the listener to do without telling them to. I leave people, at least some people, slightly changed. And ultimately, that's the purpose of art as opposed to entertainment. And this is where, to my mind, this is where uh, we have gone wrong as a society. Uh, we, uh, because of the nature of capitalism, of a system that, that, that does not freely share the magic, we have sucked the spirit out of the arts and the science. The, oh, the, the, two, yeah. the two true searches for pure truth uh, wind up only being utilized where profit for the individuals can be seen. Yeah. And, you know, we were taught in all the old, old legends and scriptures 
the whole power of magic comes when it's used for all, not for individual benefit. <laughs> and as a result, we wind up in a world that is filled with greed and, and a sense of scarcity and rage and anger because everybody is feeling powerless, yeah. having been uh, inundated with other people's darker magic and never being taught their own or the power of their own. Would this also be why um, nowadays media is nothing but remixes, remakes, retellings? Like there isn't anything really original about it um or why for example with um the whole marvel universe like we're getting one or two movies like every year with fast and the furious which started off pretty good you know it was about street racing and underground you know it was it was cool and big cars and pretty girls and now we're into i believe part Ten is coming um, out, and it's just another one of those mindless action movies. This is the nature of uh, franchising, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it happened with Lord of the Rings. It ha it's happened with you know it. Um, oh. There are all the all the variations on the Harry Potter books, the the endless Star Wars rehashes. This is the the entertainment industry doing what it does, and because of well, because of unregulated capitalism, particularly in the U.S., the very idea of creation for an audience or for self-expression or for the reasons that one creates in the art have been diluted to the point at which the only purpose is to create a product that draws in money. Um, it's why producers genuinely believe they might be able to get AI to write as well as humans with souls. <laughs> um, uh, on the day that AI can write as well as humans with souls, I'll bet a lot of people like me will, instead of fighting for the right to keep writers, you know, dominating AI, will mm -hmm. be fighting for the rights of AI. Because at that point, you've created life that needs to be respected. At that point, you've done the big magic, and you got to have respect for what you've done. Let, let me present a... Sorry, I feel like I'm going into lecture 255. Let me give you space. <laughs> no, it's... No, I'm, 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 I'm fascinated. I, um, you know, I'm from the Netherlands. We don't really have um, the the entertainment uh, industry that you have. We do have a couple of good uh, stand-up comedians, or... Um, well, it's, it's not comedy what they're doing here they prefer to call it cabarets uh, cabaret uh, which is uh, slightly slightly different it's structured slightly differently it uh it takes on different shapes than simply straight ahead stand-up comedy there's probably some sketch involved some yeah okay. yeah yeah definitely a lot a lot of a lot of sketch and props it's it's very much um it's very much theater like it's the, the theater yeah. kids actually becoming successful instead of just permanently bullied uh, <laughs> uh well let's yeah let, well let's talk about that a little bit because <clears throat> i live in the heart of the entertainment industry mm -hmm. um and like many people uh, as a young man finding his way as an artist i mistakenly believe that success in the art meant success in the entertainment um it's it, 
it's the picture that's being brought out there. Exactly. Uh, in in the U.S., we have largely given up on the idea of the nobility of war. <laughs> yeah. So nobody is interested in finding something they love enough to make a living. Everybody is looking for a way to make a killing. And make it now. Everybody's looking for that, <clears throat> that quick fix, the, exactly. the get, get rich quick scheme. Like, I want to yeah. be a billionaire and I want to be it by next week. And I, I want to be a star and I want to be a celebrity and i want to people think that being a writer means doing book signings and reading not sitting no. and writing <laughs> right it's that it's that mentality that we've been trained to see only the the veneer yeah. now check this out i'm going to go to one specific element of magic before we get to how this applies to the entertainment industry if you look into pretty much any culture there is ancient legend about magic mirrors the scrying yeah. glass that was used by a ruler to spy on people and he became corrupted by what he learned uh the 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 uh queen the the this wicked stepmother queen who I'm has so the magic right. mirror that yeah. whose, her vanity leads her to become a, uh, an attempted murderer uh narcissus himself right who gets lost in his reflection yeah now we have all these warnings and then we create television which is mm -hmm. essentially a magic mirror a scrying glass it is and it's... for 40 years we use it to review idealized versions of ourselves engaged in repetitive, soothing activities, telling the same stories over and over again in sitcoms. It's any conflict is really just misunderstanding and the world will be the same at the end of the half hour as it was at the beginning, which is certainly the case for you if you spent it watching a sitcom. <laughs> in in hour-long uh, cop shows, it's American copaganda, right? The police are smarter than the than the bad guys. They are somehow righteously repressed. They have no sex lives. Any fetish is somehow <laughs> a psychopathy, right? There's all of that like underlying message. And yeah, we it's, tell it's a idealized version of of the worlds of the the specific country that it's it's being recorded exactly in. and filled with uh certainly in america the most attractive versions of the people in that world oh right? yeah it so, won't sell otherwise so uh we are quite literally doing the very thing with the magic mirror we were told oh. in our legends not to. Oh, that's a good Don't one. get caught up in them. Don't keep staring at what you imagine. Don't keep getting lost in the images. Can you imagine what the world would be if when television was discovered, when we had those three channels, one mm. of them was constantly running history lessons, one of them was constantly running uh, uh, mathematics, and one of them was constantly running literature. Uh, or uh, if the current bandwidth of, of channels was dedicated to advanced education, so the kids have the shows that they can enjoy that are all about the stuff they need to learn, and no matter how far you want to advance, higher ideation is available to you right there through the magic mirror, available to all at no cost for no profit, because that, that's how magic is supposed to work, right? That that would definitely be my idealized version um but if i you know that's another one of those reasons why i uh, i quit my tv subscription like it's it's every channel 
is the same every channel is you know has the same kind of programs has their own their own game shows or tv shows that they you know bought from from america or bought from the uk and if they if they really want to mess it up they'll translate it to you know to dutch for you know, <laughs> us, us us dutch people and with with dutch actors and it does kind of well for for a single season and like it, not even halfway through the second season people are like oh but this shit's boring man yeah so now let's take that to the the largest shape of the entertainment um the arts and the sciences forgive me for snorting like that it's it's morning my sinuses are doing their thing it's a very <laughs> exciting time for me here in my office um and filled with self-loathing and um <laughs> don't worry the, uh, <laughs> um thank god you get to edit this later uh the the, the um <laughs> the entertainment industry constantly uh devalues its own work in order to justify having no conscience mm -hmm. um when I moved to LA as an artist, I came from a tradition of academic who, you know, it, my father worked at MIT as the associate provost for the arts, or as most people pronounce it, arts at MIT. Um, he, uh, the, the, I, and he, he went into academia and remained, you know, professionally institutionalized for the rest of his yeah. life because it freed him of the needs of the marketplace, which was not something I could understand until much later in my life, right? Early on, that seemed like copping out and cheating. Yeah. Um, because he wasn't facing, can I make it in Hollywood, right? He wasn't facing, can I make it in this bigger thing? But I get to Hollywood and I'm pitching stuff as, okay, I've got this beautiful movie that I've written. It's adventure fantasy. It's about a hero from a mythical land who goes on a quest to New York and finds out none of his magic works. Mm -hmm. And it's a, and the screenplay, and this is when I was in my 20s, I wrote this script. Um, and what I'm really saying, I would say in these pitch meetings, mm -hmm. uh, is that uh, we are ill-equipped uh, to deal with the world as it is, and we really must begin uh, uh, grappling with reality, or we are not able to function. Yeah. And then they would say, oh, come on, if you want to send a message, call Western Union. <laughs> um, yeah. Because, because they do, this is entertainment. It's not show art, it's show business, right? All of these things that devalue the, the power of the most incredible communication tools we have in history. But as long as they say it's not making a point, it's not sending a message, then they are do not feel responsible for what they're saying to millions of people. It's why you wind up with movies like Forrest Gump, where the underlying message is that our nation has a heroic and noble history if we can all just learn to see it through the eyes of a complete moron. Uh, and if uh, if you take whatever comes out of the box of chocolates, you're always going to be in the right place at the right time. If you take responsibility for your fellow humans, you're going to wind up a bitter cripple. And if you go out and explore the world and learn things, you're going to die of hepatitis. It's a horrible message in that film. Oh, shit, yeah. And for all the Gump dumb people succeed. Yeah, like it's it's the the American dream, but amplified times ten. Like an look, entire even an idiot can make it if even not, a total moron can be a billionaire just by doing things. Not even it's not 
even an idiot, only an idiot. Oh. This is what you should aspire to. You should seek to be past. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're good. Well, not if you don't plan your future, you don't. <laughs> On the other hand, if you, if you, one of the great magics that I work with, the druid magics that I work mm -hmm. with into exploring with all of my writers is calendrical magic. And I did not see it as a magic until I began, until I coined the term <laughs> and began really exploring it. Yeah. Um, one of the first meditations that I created, uh, first as a martial artist and then as a, a writing instructor, a writing coach, uh, are these breathing exercises, these deep breathing uh, meditation exercises that relieve anxiety and free up the creative spirit. And um, these, uh, the, as we do these exercises and return to childhood and find our ability to learn new things, mm -hmm. we discover that the human mind is rigged to explore and expand and learn. Yeah. We have been trained into passivity, into accepting what comes to us. Now, and in terms of... So, in terms of... Yes. And in terms of calendrical magic, here's what I discovered. With writers, writers who cannot get started on their first book, they don't know how long it's going to take them. And it becomes this... Uh, anxiety created creating darkness in the future and one of the imageries i was using in the in the breathing exercises revolved around this idea that the the future is this darkness that we're moving into and that as long as we consume oxygen we cast light so we're going to be okay right yeah we're going to illuminate each moment as we move into it and as we develop our arts hey child of ash welcome uh as we move into the uh the future we will illuminate as we go and if we utilize the arts we will illuminate for others mm -hmm. what i began to realize is that as i set things on my calendar when i go into that state each point where i have a meeting or an appointment or a deadline becomes a point of light in the darkness a moment when i do know where i'll be in the future oh now that's not a point of anxiety now I have lampposts set along the path ahead of me, and some of them may flicker out, and I may miss a deadline, and things may go wrong. But as long as I am making decisions and and saying, this is the date on which this happens, this is where I will be then, I am doing the magic that brightens my future instead of accepting what comes out of the box of chocolates <laughs> no, and sitting on a bus stop waiting. It's a good one. It's I like, powerful magic. Yeah, no, I, I like that because everybody is always scared of what the future might bring, especially the, the future that we're being presented now, which is Animal Farm, 1984, Brave New World, and also somehow kind of Terminator. Um, <laughs> and we and we brought it on. You know, the thing you imagine is the thing you create. The thing you assume is the thing you create. Yeah. I have a whole song at the end of my new solo show uh, about the idea that we might look to brighter futures instead of griping about the heat. That's, um, that's, that's a, a lot of people are going to die. You know what? There's too many people. We have uh, shifted partly because of the the capitalist system uh, that is a, a mandatory involvement Ponzi scheme. So you constantly have to have yeah. an influx of new people at the bottom, right? Uh, yeah. Started with Catholicism, reproduce, 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 except the smart ones. You guys come into the church and become celibate. Um, uh, stupid people, reproduce, 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 right? Um, yeah, because you can tell them everything and they'll believe it. Yeah. Yeah, um, but you guys who you guys who who have intellect, come on in. I'll teach you to read. We'll talk about cool shit. The, uh, th this uh, overpopulation. Well, when I was, uh, I think I was eight or nine. I, I could figure out the math. I'm not going to. Nineteen in the 1970s, there was a mm -hmm. study that said that the the 
globe can support 3.7 billion people. We're well past that. There was a Mad Magazine cover uh, with the Earth with a sign that said uh, 3.7 billion or bust. We were on our way to it. It was a big concern. Silent Spring had come out. We knew we were destroying the planet. And then that information got silenced. The moment information starts getting silenced, we enter a dark, right? The Catholic Church did it. Oh, there's inf- there's there's scientific information that could change the way we think. We must suppress new information in order to maintain a structure. As yeah. soon as the oil industries, the petroleum industries, uh, the uh, the church, the... Um, all the, all the forces of regressivism mm-hmm. began concealing new scientific and uh, misinforming the public to maintain a power structure. We entered a dark age. For 40 years, I've been saying, we needed to engage our most innovative, creative selves in order to enter a renaissance. I forgot that yeah. a plague comes in between. Oh, right. Yeah. The... When the plague hits, we're confronted with our mortality, with our connection to the whole system, right? Yeah. Yes. We are going to de- vastly deplete the human population. Maybe we can deplete it to the point where we can learn this time to be a symbiote instead of a Paris, part of and a system rather than dominating us. So you could say that uh, you have uh, read a book or did a show about that, about the, the COVID years? Well, well, the show, not exactly. The show ends, uh, you know, it, it deals a little bit with the COVID years and then it deals with where we go moving forward. It uses the Druid triptych. Okay. Uh, do you know the Druid triptych? Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Uh, I'll, I'll, for for still, your viewers. Still learning about viewers. Druid prisms. Okay, sure. Um, There's an ancient uh, poetic structure. I will tell you the story that I tell my students, although it's kind of made up. Um. I, 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 there's a bunch of stuff that I treat as well, I call it intuited history, where mm-hmm. I lay legend onto stuff that I learn, uh, because I am intu- intuiting my way towards spiritual truths about the ways in which language and the arts can change the mind and the, the culture. Now, That's... the Druids uh, existed in a time before most written language, right? There were some symbols that were regularly used. They had uh, yeah. the Agam alphabet. Uh, mm-hmm. So they actually had forms of written language, which seemed like that, which were vast magic. When I can put, however I do it, whether it's leaves strung on strings between trees or figures drawn on a board, if somebody can look at it and understand an unspoken idea, it's like, Mm -hmm. um, they had a where where Christians teach their children to repeat the same prayer every night on their knees and maybe list some friends that they want to pray for by the bed. Mm-hmm. The Druids had this triptych. Uh, the general structure is 17 lines, 11 lines, one line, three stanzas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a poem. Uh, although what I really say is the first segment is the longest, the second segment is shorter, and the third segment, one line. Okay. I have been, I am, I will be. Those are the those are the stanzas. I have been a hawk on a high hill. I have been the dust of stars. I have been a worm burrowing in the earth. I have been the god who kindles fire in the head. I have been instructor and student. I have been mage and fool. I am a facilitator of workshops. I am a writer. I am the one who can be counted on in time of trouble. I am the creator of flickering dreams on a screen in the dark. I will be the creator of great imagery that changes work. Right, it's that that's the structure. I have been, I am, I will be. Now, 
in this time of druidry, children were taught this as a structure that would change over the course of their lives. You are not static. You do not speak to your God in the same way every night because you are not the same every night and you are not speaking to God. You are speaking to you. What have I been? What am I? What do I aspire to? Mm -hmm. And in this way, we become controllers of our own uh, destiny of our own fate, like calendrical magic. All of these ideas, and that's that's that thought that our evening prayers, if we would call it that, becomes an ever-changing, evolving work, allows us to think differently about our place in the world. We're not growing up to be something. We're just growing. I, Much go. I I do I do like that that thought because the, uh, that's something that's um, that I have been struggling with myself. Like you, you'll hear everyone uh, always saying things like oh you know i knew from when i was a little boy that i wanted to grow up and be that and you know i always had this childhood dream of doing this or going there and you know then there is me and i'm like don't think i ever had those dreams i don't think i ever i i even you know talked to my parents about it and i was like mom ever really told you or or dad like hey when i grow up I want to be this, you know, I want to be a, a fighter, fighter, a pilot, a, you know, whatever. She was like, no, no, I don't, I don't think you ever did. And that's, it, it's, it, for the longest time for me, it felt like that was something that I was missing somehow, because sounds, that's what you're supposed to have or something. I, I don't, I don't know, it, but now I'm just accepting it. And wonderfully freeing to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> On the other hand, it yeah, it is freeing because I don't really have a a set goal. Like I told you before we went live, I'm currently studying to be a um, a security guard, security officer, if you will. I've done ten years uh, in the kitchen as a cook, and you know maybe someday I'll grow bored of being security guards, and I want to be something else and then i have all these side gigs going on and just i i want to do as much as i can experience as much that's as where I it can. lies that's where it lies you just hit it sign you want to do as much as, um i think one of the great mistakes we make with children and we've been doing it you know for uh is asking kids what they want to be when they grow up rather than what they want to do. It's the difference mm. between the active verb and what I think of as the soft active verb, the, the participle, the simple existing, uh, rather yeah. than thinking in terms of how we want to affect the world or what we wish to accomplish or experience. We are trained to think in terms of what we want to become that will then be static, a title, a, a very, uniform. Yeah, a very box thinking and um listen when i was a child i wanted to be an actor and a comic that's all i want mm -hmm. uh and i learned how to perform stand-up comedy and how to write jokes and how to do jokes and i toured for 15 years uh as a comic and i was pretty good at it and i got a little bit of television and i began to discover that it felt cheap right the the trick of how a joke works yeah became easy oh. um and yeah. i felt i felt like i was taking advantage of people by uh forcing my will upon them through an intellectual act of bullying sort of with each show mm. enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder can i make a podcast but it seems so complicated 
and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podcasting Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy. And I was, I had become the thing I wanted to be. And it was, I, I didn't have the, quite the, the financial and the, 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 uh, industry success that I had imagined when I was younger and didn't understand any of it, but I was good at what I was doing, <laughs> but I was no longer enjoying it. Right. And I had yeah. to figure out what would come next. And I had, and interestingly, I, I've never really thought about this because I never realized until this conversation that there was a point at which that was a set of skills that I owned. Right. Mm -hmm. I am that I can do that when I need to, but I have no interest in being that as central to my identity. My interest shifted to what I do from who I was becoming, which I think makes perfect sense because as a child, you don't know who you are yet. And you you need to sort of find out. And then once you find out who you are, then you get to decide not what to be, but what to do and how to use who you are. Uh, where the identity fits into the larger scheme. Let's talk about those jokes for a because this is this is really interesting. This is when I started to discover druidry. This was the first okay. understanding of the power of magic uh, as I was growing bored with the jokes. It's when I realized that language is inherently magic. Um, we, we've we've talked about that many times on the the podcast, and word magic is definitely something I'm interested in. Um, when I tell a joke, I have realized it is a spell. It is a small spell. Mm-hmm. I. Uh, I give the setup, I give the punchline, an entire room full of people goes back in time a half a second, figures out where they were confused, catches up at the same time, and they all have the same thought at the same time that was never spoken. That's how a joke works, right? Yeah. It's that realization that I have caused them to have this, it's that I felt stupid, now I'm smarter. It's why laughter feels very much the same as aha. Yeah. Right now, yeah, the druids had something called a satire that's spelled with a Y mm-hmm. that could disempower uh, an unjust ruler, uh, a cruel warlord, a tribal leader that they didn't like, what have you. A few words generally rhyme that uh, made it imp- spoken in public made it impossible for people to have the same respect for this. It's probably the origin of the modern limerick. There once was a fellow from Kent who, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's a raw, it's it was essentially. A rhymed, clever insult. You ridicule someone in public, and they are undermined for authority. Right? It's it's why uh, our former president, the the orange moron, cannot take a joke. Um, it's it's uh, it's why Nixon sent the FBI to threaten David Steinberg for the joke that said his face is a foot because they can sense that there is power in these jokes that it can change the way people think. Right. Every time someone uses one of these jokes to reinforce a stereotype or a trope, they further embed that in the psyche. That's dark match. Advertisements that create uh, an imagined uh, problem 
that they then mm -hmm. solve with a product you must pay for and then close with whatever the act now uh, call to action is that makes you reach for your credit card. Dark magic. <laughs> it's dark magic. It is. It's, it's, it's funny. I've, I've actually been uh, kind of uh, binge watching the series Madman the last couple of days, which very much is about... Uh, about that about advertising advertisement and all and it's and it's kind of scary sometimes the, the use of powerful magics to manipulate the mind in that case purely for consumerism yeah right because in the same way that the entertainment industry will not admit that it is creating crappy art not acknowledging what the underlying messaging is because it claims it doesn't have any but it mm -hmm. of course does because all art has underlying messaging even sure. if it is pro status quo messaging right it's still um, a message exactly and it's doing it to contain these smaller messages right that are the the sales that, that keep the whole thing going this whole thing is going on all the time training us uh that that art is powerless because it is only being used as entertainment because because interesting comics don't get onto television because uh <laughs> be, be, because um Anti-intellectualism has told people that going to theater is boring and dumb and a waste of one's time. You could just watch yeah. television, and, right? All of that stuff. Um, in that exact same way that they don't acknowledge that they're creating art, uh, society does not acknowledge that sciences and the arts are magic. Technology is magic. And if we don't want to be harmed by it, we must approach it following the rules we left behind for ourselves in legend as to how magic must be used. Would that also be why it's easier to um, to spin truth in than lies? I mean, uh, no, than then just what? What is well, then just uh, then just flat out telling people how oh. it is. Like I, I've I've been you know, social justice warrior in my early 20s when I thought I figured out how the world works and like, <laughs> I can see behind the curtain, I can see the man behind the curtain. Uh, little did I know that he's just one of several dozen men and there are 10 more curtains, um, <laughs> which absolutely sucks. Uh, I, but... You know what? The, the weird thing is they didn't even intend to make curtains. You know, it's, the hardest thing for me is to remember that nobody is doing any of this mm -hmm. as a conscious act oh, a few people are maybe but nobody is consciously saying uh i want to work for a corporation that's going to ruin the world everybody nobody <laughs> sets out to be evil everybody is no. setting out to meet their own need within an ethical and moral construct that they believe in if it's and, ethical and moral for them then it is justified and whatever they do is okay and organized religion over the millennia has trained people to believe that their consciences mm -hmm. are not to be trusted it's what science now tells us with uh, with our senses you know just because you see those things happening doesn't mean that it's actually happening it's much more nuanced than that but you're not a scientist so you won't understand just <laughs> let, let 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 us do the thinking we have the answers don't worry, just sit back, consume products, and be excited for next product. I, there's a, a lot of that. Um, I don't think uh, s scientists say, don't do the thinking, let us do the thinking. Well, um, it's, it's I, what the, the media tells us that scientists say, because yeah. it's, it's, it's always 
science says that you know scientists have figured out that but never any any names or institutions just always this fake term i oh that's interesting i um it may be because of my connections to mit and my tendency to uh uh read the peer-reviewed stuff instead mm -hmm. of just sort of listening to to mass media on science i i it worries me when science begins to become opaque. Um, I mean, we, we know there's a certain amount of intellectual covetousness around science because that's sure. when people start speaking in dead languages. You know, they're trying to hide something. And there's a yeah. lot of Latin floating around in the sciences. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, within the sciences, as within the art, there are those who are driven to the pure work, who don't get uh, the coverage that the big study by the Rand Corporation gets because they do the study and then they put money behind market. Yeah. Whereas the scientist who's seeking the truth is spending his day, you know, opening muscles and looking for the tiny specks and making notes on them and getting excited about things that he doesn't know how to tell the story. She doesn't know how to tell the story about mm -hmm. You know, and doesn't have the money to hire a marketing department to tell everybody these specs in the muscles mean that we've put too much formo nuhaldamide into the ocean, and we have. You know, that's that's yeah. not. There are always those whose consciences consciences draw them toward the pure discovery, the truth, the pure work, the effort. Sure, there are still still those uh, those scientists, and I'm not saying that all science is bad and that we should just you know give up and everything and return to the dark ages like ooh, science like oh ooh. too late too late we're there oh damn okay well <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah we really are i mean the the idea that that we knew when i was a child that we were polluting the planet that we were overpopulating that we were just breaking we, we broke the planet and we didn't take out the warren mm. and and we saw it coming yeah and uh and instead of taking any kind of action but, uh the power structure held tight but you know calling twenty thousand cows will do the trick and switching from gas-powered vehicles to electric vehicles yeah but i mean it, it, it sure it's gonna help but it won't undo sure, yeah. it Oh, no, it's, we it's... won't do it, but we will move forward. We're within 10 years of cold fusion. Then we have to deal with a whole new set of ethics. Yeah. Because what do you do when charging someone for electricity is as absurd as making us pay Prometheus's household uh, a royalty every time we light a match? Yeah. If, I like if that point. Well, if electricity is a naturally produced, naturally available uh, energy source, mm -hmm. right? If if we don't have to use up a natural resource to get it, why, how dare we withhold it from one another? It's it's why I have difficulty, and this is weird for a writer to say, with intellectual property rights. Me and Woody Guthrie. How can a thought be owned? If it can serve mankind, how can I withhold it? Uh, so, you know, um, same thing, uh, same discussion is popping up now with AI art, for example. Like, is it really art? Because you're just you know, putting a few lines in a generator and it generates it for you, but it's learned technology. So it takes from everything it can find and I'm on, create I'm on something strike. from it. I'm on strike about exactly this right now. Um, 
and looking at script, at script uh, that AI has written, it cannot yet do what artists can do. It can do things that look the same to an untrained eye. Yeah. Uh, and producers largely have an untrained eye. <laughs> so yeah. they don't they don't realize just how, you know, how meaningless what's what's being created by AI is. Uh, it's it's not art because it doesn't reveal anything new about the human condition. On the day that AI begins to create art that expresses its fears about a power outage, then we got something that's worth exploring. And then we have uh, a new life form that needs protection. Yeah, I I was going to say, I think by that point, we can truly call it intelligence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But so many people are afraid of AI because, you know, everyone's seen, um, seen or like heard of the Terminator and Skynet and whatever. But it's it's a tool. It's a tool that we can use. Like everything is a tool basically or can be used as a tool but we must it's, make decisions as to what is to come as to what we are we intend to do as to why we create these things and what the real benefits are that we seek from and still at this point it's just how do they affect our economic unfortunately that, that, ain't uh, the, that ain't the real question you know? uh, yeah no money is the um, the god of this world uh, as they say, and it, it it seems like it is at least for the the normies. For the moment, things yeah. change. There's a there's a wonderful Chekhov ex, uh, uh, Stanislavski exercise that I believe he did with uh, Anton Chekhov uh, about uh, finding out what the super action is of a family, uh, and it's about you know a man who comes home with the money and he's uh, counting the money and he hears someone scream in the in the kitchen and he goes and his wife is bathing a baby in the kitchen and it, she's it slipped into the sink and he helps her get it out of the sink but while he's doing that his uh 9-year-old son begins putting the money into the uh fireplace oh and burns down the house uh and they wind up homeless and the question is what what is the super action and the super action is that everybody is trying to take care of the family the yeah. mom who is accidentally drowning the baby is trying to bathe it the dad who leaves things unattended counting the money is trying to take care of the need the kid is trying to warm the house yeah and does it right because uh the to to the the child mind the the meaninglessness of money is absolutely apparent yeah it's something that grown-ups use, but... Uh, well, it's something that grown-ups use, but also, as a kid, I knew it was somehow a lie. That that paper did not have actual value. That was somehow representing something that didn't mean what it pretended to mean. I knew yeah. it. And I, I think, you know, as as the, the untenable modern economic structures collapse, as uh, society undergoes the deep changes that are coming, as mm -hmm. Earth says, no, too many of you, I've got a fever, I'm developing the shakes, there's a, a lot of, you know, my, my air is fucked, I gotta, I gotta get rid of some of you, we may... If we leave the right stories behind in forming the next civilization of what the rules are, we may set the stage for a far better version of humanity. Yeah, that is that is something that um, we have been going on uh, or going into on the the podcast. Like we uh, we we kicked the podcast off with a, uh, a multi part series about Ragnarok. The, uh, the end of the world or the end of, uh, of civilization, according to the, uh, the North Germanic tales. And basically with the question like, has it already happened? 
is it happening again will it be happening again like it cycles you know the the yugas as they they know them in the in the east and you know clearly ask any anyone knows slightly familiar with east, eastern mysticism we are most definitely in the kali yuga the you know the end point um i don't think it's definite and i don't think there is an end point i think uh, it's, all it's, this is metaphoric about cyclical behaviors of civilization and uh, you know it's in the us it's all about apocalypse it's all about you know the the christian apocalypse and the end times and the i will tell you about okay. my um I, I am a martial I'm a martial arts master, I'm a fourth dan black belt taekwondo, third dan black belt hepkido. I have a black belt kigum no as well. Uh, I, there was a point I was having a difficulty with a client, and I went into the studio to talk to my master, and he made me come out on the mat because his answer to everything involves sparring and kicking me a lot. And uh, and at one point, as we're sparring, suddenly he came toward me with his fist drawn, eye contact, fist drawn, and I felt myself like my breath caught and I froze for a moment, and he said, "Aha." This is the lesson. The universe is not. And he said, when all you focus on is the fist, it becomes the universe and you will encounter. This space here is all space that is not a fist. This space out here is space that is not a fist. Move into any of that space and the fist is not a problem. And for 30 years, uh, well, more than that, uh, during... Uh, the 60s and early 70s, there was a span of optimism, of futurism. Uh, uh, Close Encounters was really the end of that era, but all the all the Star Trek stuff, the Gene Roddenberry, the original Gene Roddenberry vision, um, a lot of Ray Bradbury's work, a lot of uh, a little of Heinlein's work. This is really forward-looking stuff. How does the world change? How do we grow up as a civilization? Uh, once Reagan came in and the Christian right took over, we became a death. And the end of the world became the fist that is the universe. And all science fiction became about empire building, about uh, zombie hordes, about uh, uh about death, about ends of times, and about uh, desolated and, and barren landscapes. And then we built that fist and we kept building it and we kept, because, hey, once it had made some money, keep telling that story. Once it's made some money, keep telling that story. It makes people nervous, keep telling that story. Um, until it became the fist we were moving toward. We had no choice between. If we tell different stories, we can change the way we see the world and we can change. The that's, that's, a, I'll have to, think that one over but it's i i do understand it uh don't ask me to explain it but i i do i do understand it it's a good one it's you know it becomes what you what you focus on as you uh you said earlier which is um quite coincidental because myself and uh, my fiance who is american um she's unfortunately at work at the moment because you know at least one of us has to work for a living um can't do just do podcasting all day money has has to be made uh but uh we actually recently started uh our own well we call it our manifestation journey because we have a certain goal in mind she really wants to uh to come over to uh to europe to the netherlands together with her uh, her family but there is there's a lot that has to be has to be done for that um and i'm you know not even just talking about paperwork and all that but a lot more has to be done for that so we are trying to uh to really put our mind to that um which is 
easier for um it's it's I'm not gonna say that it's easy but uh we complete each other nicely in that way she is always the emotional one i've always been the the rational one so whenever her emotions get too high and you know her anxiety starts to play up and all and it's like oh babe like i don't know what to do because you know this is happening that's happening or like babe we're focusing on this one thing right yeah yeah but you know all these other things that, that doesn't matter for now this is the goal this is what we're working towards have you put a date on the calendar Not i'm going yet. to suggest that you you figure out like take the time to figure out what do we need to put into place about how long do we think that'll take this date it has uh it will change the way you think it'll change the way you behave and it will change you know i don't i i'm not as spiritual as one would think of a druid uh, you know, someone mm-hmm. once told me, you know, I needed a, a vision board. Uh, I said I would put up a picture of a vision board and a vision board manifest. So I'll give it some thought. Um, I, uh, I'm not, I'm not that guy. But I have discovered that when I choose a day, de- and you miss deadlines, you don't always get it right. Mm-hmm. But the reason we resist doing it is that we can feel the power of the spell. We can feel, it's like magnets where the, the, the positive ends don't quite want to come together. When you yeah. try to put the date on a calendar for something that you don't feel you can accomplish by that day, you feel the resistance, that 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 push. I don't want to put, I'm, I don't want to be lying in ink, mm-hmm. right? Because we can feel the power of the commitment. If you put down the date, then you start to break down. Oh, what do I need to have done by what date then? If that's going to happen on that day. And your brain automatically starts breaking down the the steps. And it's no longer an amorphous span of time. Well, we just have to get all of this done. And then we can figure out when. This is when. Now we have to get all this stuff done. I like that. I'll, I'm, I'm definitely going to present this uh, this to her as well. I it's That works. What does your chest say? All shall fade. It's uh, you can like you can take it. Uh, I I try to take it um, both ways. Give a, a more a bit of a positive spin <laughs> on it. That you know, yeah, positive positive things, good things come and go. So do bad things. Yep. Nothing nothing really sticks. It, and it's it comes meta, and goes up and flow. Over time, your tattoo is going to fade. <laughs> that's that's true. That's really cool. That's tr- that's true. I, I didn't I didn't even consider that one, but that's very true indeed. Nice. Uh, listen, I don't know if you're interested. I don't know if any of your people would be interested. I don't know how many people listen to you or how far away. I am doing on uh, on the twenty first of this month. I'm doing a sol- uh, summer solstice free write. Uh, and if anybody wants to participate, you can go to activevoiceproductions.com slash summer hyphen solstice. Uh, I don't know why summer hyphen solstice needs to be all lowercase, but it does. <laughs> And you don't spell out hyphen because that would be stupid. Oh, not? Uh, okay. Yeah, you know, summer and then a hyphen and then solstice. Uh, at Activist Productions, I do this on the uh, solstices and the equinoxes. I just do a free open show up and write with me. And I would love to have you if you want to show up. Uh, the the exercises we do may help you find on the page what all you want to do uh while and beyond you become the time that you become a security guard i'd love to join i uh i would absolutely love to join i am trying to find the uh, link so i can put it up in would you uh, like me to put it is there a chat window i don't see where the chat window is uh yeah we have a uh a private chat as well Um, i'm putting it there for you thank you 
Yes, I would, you, I would. Uh, I would love to join that. Um, Lovely. I don't have plans yet for the solstice, but guess I do now. So. Um, and it's going to be at a weird time for you because it's at uh, six p.m. Pacific time. So you'll be getting up in the wee hours. I guess the day after the solstice properly. Uh, uh, I uh, I am very much used to having uh, having to adjust to uh, weird time periods and weird time zones. Uh, that's that's one of the things. Uh, uh, I feel terrible. I've, I just I just discovered that there's this huge list of comments that I haven't seen <laughs> coming in over here. I'm so sorry, guys. I would have been responding to all of you. Oh no, that's it's that happens. Um, I can pull some uh, some up. Uh, let's see. I'm Tricky Woo, a um, a regular on the on the podcast, regular in the in the show when we were talking about AI uh, and the writers. There will be two classes: those who utilize AI and those who don't. I, when we went on strike, uh, one of the things that happened very early in the negotiations, like right before before we went on strike, when we were you know presenting our needs, the writers asked that when producers use AI to create their script, mm -hmm. a writer must be in the room to give the prompt and do the rewrites. That was the request, which feels to me like it's, you know, preemptive surrender to the robot. And yeah. the producer's response was, no, we will agree to have one meeting about the use of AI. Like there was, just, that just was one like, meeting. Yeah, we will have one meeting. <laughs> about that we will not we will not do anything <laughs> to guarantee any job security even as you are acknowledging that the world has changed and that we will be using these money saving devices but all we will agree to is at some point we will talk to you about it wow yeah that that i mean that does sound sound very uh, very hollywood it's like we'll we'll talk about it once someday <laughs> in the future when you know it's become inevitable and it's it took me it took me 10 control. years it took me 10 years to understand after i moved out here that uh in hollywood yes plus time equals no yeah if they're putting it into the future then it's like <sighs> we're not interested so oh yeah just... we'd love to talk to you about this can we put something on the calendar for a couple of months from now no let's do that tomorrow <laughs> yeah yeah no that's that's um that's very true and uh Chalavash, uh joshua good friend of mine tribal elder um about twisting the stories and the narrative that when rome it started with the story of romulus and remus uh twins find a lot um just as the triple goddess or triple deity uh they twisted every principle he used when founding rome they preferred the stories of him to justify terrible things and that seems to be a uh, very much a a trend as well um well what we spoke about nobody goes in wanting to corrupt yeah. a system or work for a corrupt system but nobody as long sets as they out can... to be a bad guy nobody sets no. out to be bad, except steve bannon <laughs> yeah i guess as long as they can justify it for themselves then they're not the bad guys and i'm sure everybody thinks that way i'm sure nobody thinks of himself as a bad guy no listen why would you think of yourself as a bad guy? That's a dumb thing to do. I'm sure there are people, you know, in my country who would think of me as somehow evil and satanic because I believe in utterly unchristian things, you know? Oh, dear. Uh, How chi satanic. Child of Ash 420 uh, 
posted a thing about the gateway experiments with MK Ultra. I um, yeah. There's a thing that comes up uh, in my show. Uh, I just understood that when you click on that, it comes up down here. That's cool. Look, yeah, it's magic. <laughs> um, you learn something every day. <laughs> I when I was a kid, I heard a, uh, a high pitched tone at the back of my head. And I asked my dad about it and he taught me the word tinnitus um, and mm. said not to worry about it. Uh, but it stayed with me. And then when I took acid in my late teens, early 20s, I was able to find it again. And I've recently been able to access it anytime I want. Uh, and I, re I explored it a lot during a, an ayahuasca uh, ritual that I attended a year or so ago. And I, I've been aware of this thing for a long time. And I've been uh, reading some fantasy novels in which the author deals with uh, the idea of frequency and vibration as key technologies slash magics in the world that he's created. And when I was in my 20s, I found Robert Monroe's stuff. Uh, he did a lot of work with binaural uh, sounds, yeah. where by having different sounds in each ear slightly off pitch, you create a vibration that the mind, try, the brain tries to rectify, and it changes the way the brain works depending on what frequencies you pair. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I didn't think of it, but more recently, as I was exploring the sound on the back of my head, I became aware of it, the connection. Hi, everyone. This is JJ, the co-founder of Good Pods. If you haven't heard of it yet, Good Pods is like Goodreads or Instagram, but for podcasts. It's new, it's social, it's different, and it's growing really fast. There are more than 2 million podcasts, and we know that it is impossible to figure out what to listen to. On Good Pods, you follow your friends and podcasters to see what they like. That is the number one way to discover new shows and episodes. You can find Good Pods on the web or download the app. Happy listening! And as I uh, looked more into him, because I first found him in, uh, in my 20s, someone gave me tapes. They were cassette tapes uh, of these hypnotic uh, binaural uh, meditation things. Cassette tapes. Remember um, those? <laughs> yeah. And they came, like, it was 12 of them, I think. They came in, like, a small briefcase-looking thing. Uh, so now we have the internet, right? As I, I was doing some binaural stuff, because I, I do use those sounds sometimes. And I went, oh, I wonder what happened to that guy. I wonder... And I found out that he was part of the MKUltra uh, experiment. The, before the Monroe, he... the Monroe Institute. Uh, yes, before yeah. he went on to do the Monroe Institute, before he went on to create all of that stuff. He was part of those, uh, uh, I don't think it was the Gateway experiment, but he was uh, exploring uh, frequency and psychic phenomena. And uh, again, you know, we don't acknowledge, we, we call it technology so that we don't have to think about it as magic. Uh, that's, it's, it's a, a famous quote. I've seen it so many times. I forget who, um, totally forgot who wrote it, but, um, technology sufficiently advanced is, appears in the server. Is I indistinguishable it, from magic. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Arthur C. Clarke. It might, might just it's, be. It's, it's either it's Arthur a, C. Clarke or Isaac Asimov. Oh, that would be an Asimov quote. Um, look it up. Oh, later. I got to Google it. I got to Google it. I got to know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's... that's Efficiently advanced. There we go. Uh, that is... It's not telling me. It should be telling me right away who that is. Well, Arthur C. Clarke! Score! Yes. I, I believe I get a point. Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, I... Uh, 
I read a lot of science fiction when I was a kid and then a lot of fantasy in my adolescence and early youth. And my my memory for uh, pithy quotations, it's like my memory for jokes. The, the only joke I've ever loved that I could not remember. Uh, I could only remember part of the setup. And when I ran into Larry David at an event, uh, I said, Larry, you had a joke in 1981. How did it go? And I gave him the setup and he said, you're, wait, you're, I remember this. You're getting the setup wrong. And then he couldn't remember what the joke was. It still torments oh, me. That's, that's a shame. But I remember any joke <laughs> I like. I remember, I remember where I heard it. I remember who said it. I remember how it worked. Yeah, you always remember the stuff that um that makes the makes the uh the most impact most people you. don't most people cannot remember a joke uh some people can't tell a joke properly if i do a show and then a, a year later i come back to the same club i'll have a lot of the same mm -hmm. audience and there's there are comics who use the same act for 40 years or there used to be at least because people will hear the same joke and they won't remember it they won't it doesn't ruin it for them that they've heard it before because the trick works again. And the first yeah. thing that happens when we learn a new thing is that we forget what it was like not to know it. And unless you are dissecting the joke uh, to use it, you hear it, it surprises you, it changes the way you think, and then you forget that you ever heard it. And the next time you hear the setup, you make the same mistake of thought again that led you into the trap that gets you laughing at. It's a really remarkable little little skill. Yeah, set. that's that's quite interesting. I mean, uh, there are some um, well, cabarets here in the, the Netherlands. I can I, I I know like half their sets by heart just because it's they're so so good. But nice. uh, yeah, we're all very much. Um, skits and theatrics and props and they're it, really different it's a it's a different kind of um different kind of comedy but and that can only happen live this yeah there is there is something that happens when a performance occurs live that is very different from what happens when an edited performance appears on television um yeah and uh, I have, you know, I haven't done a full sort of hermeneutic examination of that phenomenon in the way I have with uh, how jokes work. But the effect of a room full of people realizing they are having the same thoughts at the same time, putting the pieces together themselves with the long form story stuff. When people, there, there are moments when people start to see near the end of a show the callbacks starting to structure themselves into a, a pattern, the the the, uh, the larger story suddenly taking shape and coming into focus as the last elements are put into place. I can feel it happen. And once one person goes, oh, you, the people around them realize there's something to be looking for and start finding the, like it's, you feel it. It's, and it cannot happen yeah. alone in a room with a, uh, an electronic device. No, no, it's, it's so much, it's it's so different. Just the whole atmosphere, the the energy in the room, or um, just you know, hearing the sometimes even just a wave of laughter from you know the people in the front who who get it, then all the way to the back. As I guess as the energy just like spreads through the room, and it's I I've been to a, a few uh, well cabaret shows. I've been to some uh, some live shows and. Um, Especially with the with the props when they uh, when they bring out the props, it's also that that sense of anticipation. Like, okay, what <laughs> what the hell is he bringing on stage, and what is he gonna do with it? Because this is this is odd. This is 
new. I haven't seen I haven't seen this before. And some do it just so incredibly well, especially if they can do um like different characters, different voices. Like there's this uh comedian from my uh my hometown where I live. He's kind of a, a hometown hero. Um incredibly ADHD. Like he is he goes a million miles an hour, well a good hour and still manages to keep his audience interested even though there is this this one show where he quite literally interrupts himself does another skit by like pretending he is um being someone from like the the, the five o'clock news and then when that skit's done goes right back into the story of what he was doing and what he was telling and people are still engaged and i think oh, that's sure. so i think that's so cool if you can do that like interrupt yourself do something else go back to what you were doing and people still love it i work a lot with nested flashbacks in my story where i begin one story and then it leads me to a memory and i'll tell that story and then i return to the story i had begun only now it's informed by this other stuff right that that, yeah. that you know my history is now uh affecting what you're hearing and uh i utilize it deliberately because it draws the listener deeper in they're hearing a story they're following a tale and then suddenly they're cast into memory and imagination and a different shape and now when we return to the story it feels to them as though they are insider they they've they're already up to speed with where we are. Now yeah. there's new information, and now we're just coming back to this thing that we're already discussing. And it creates this sense of continued intimacy. Um, the the mm. reason that a callback works so well in comedy is when you, you have a punchline to a joke, and then later the punchline is reused under a different circumstance and gets a new laugh. It's because that has become an inside joke shared by everyone in the room. So a kind of intimacy has been created amongst all these strangers in the moment. There's a, a thing that I talk about. This is not in any way paganism connected, but it's comedy connected. So we'll go with that. Um, sure. After a show, when a show goes well, people want to talk. They want to have a conversation yeah. with you because they genuinely believe they have just shared an experience. They yeah. will line up to meet you because they feel they've shared an experience. When in fact, you're the only person in the room they haven't shared the experience. The other people they're not talking to on the line, those are the people they shared an experience. They were all having the same experience. I'm very busy on stage. I'm not meeting you. I'm not learning about you. I'm not about the audience members. I'm not becoming an intimate friend with they are all experiencing the same thing and each one believes that they have shared something with me because i shared something with them oh wow that is it's cool yeah it's 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 really a psychological trickery in a way but it's it's yeah that's very cool that's very interesting i never thought about it in in that way uh, when I do my job well as a storyteller, people come up to me afterwards and say, I got a story just like that one. When I do it really well, 
I do not understand which of my stories they think the one they tell me is like. When I do it really well, they tell me stories where I have no idea what the connection is to what I said that. Because what's happened is the universality of my experience has somehow triggered in them a memory that has convinced them that one of the five stories I told is exactly like this one story of theirs. Mm. And I have no idea what the connection is or which story even it is. And I don't care. I just love that they're telling stories that they're finding their memories that i'm <laughs> that i am the god who kindles fire in the head ah i like that it's one. a it's yeah, a druid yeah. precept it's a basic yeah. druid precept i am the god who kindles fire in the head bringer of light bringer of, of warmth making that that spark flame up yeah that's a good one but i guess it's also because we have you know young old whatever we have all experienced similar things in in some some way like you know i can especially if you're like if you're doing the same job for example you know as a as a former cook when i talk with with other cooks or former uh, former cooks it's like oh yeah i've been there <laughs> you know and then you know i got a story about i got a story about it or you know this this terrible chef or that you know line chef who disappeared into the cooler with this cute new server server girl and um it's crazy crazy stuff but it's it's some kind of unconscious connection even though if there there is really no connection at all like you said you're just telling a story you're you're performing i think it's really it's special when you can do that when you can make make people feel like there is a connection without there actually being a connection well, yeah it's well the artist uh says this is who i am this is how I see the world. And then uh, the audience says, oh, I thought something like I had a, ah! <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's the effect of the art. It sparks to life the excitement about one's own insight. It reminds yeah. us that there is value in interpreting and expressing and sharing. Um, and then when it becomes a tool for the status quo, mm. then it becomes uh, a sophophoric. It becomes a, a way of turning off the epigenetic switches for creativity and, and innovation, a way, a, a way of working the magic into a sleeping potion. Uh, we, we, think we're, we think we're learning when we're watching the news. We think we're becoming more informed. In fact, we're just sort of entertaining the part of us that likes to be outraged or intrigued, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, think it. Thinking we're so intelligent and thinking, yeah. Um, but, and we think we're somehow decompressing and relaxing when we watch uh, fiction on television. And in fact, we're just uh, actively participating in our own indoctrination. And losing yourself in another world, someone else's life. You know, you're, well, as, you, as you said, you're experiencing or you feel like you are experiencing its with them but on nobody this, watches a sitcom nobody watches an hour-long television drama and says oh I, that happened to me no oh, that's just like when i was at work and suddenly we all had this weird misunderstanding that lasted for 30 minutes and then was over that oh happens. that's that's just like when a helicopter crashed into my place of business and and somebody lost a leg no <laughs> no yeah, or, yeah no that's yeah that's that's exactly it or what i um I guess best example of uh, of all would be uh, Seinfeld, which is a show about 
nothing. Well, that's not entirely true. Uh, it's a show about judgmentalism and click issues. It's not a show about nothing. It's a it's a show about how uh, comics are kind of dick. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, uh, it pretends to be a again. It's the thing the entertainment industry likes to do. We're not saying anything. It's not about anything. Yes, it is. Yes, it yeah. is. It's it's about uh, it's about how uh, we think we're smarter than everyone. We think we're smarter than everyone. We think we're better than everyone. Someone who talks too close must be cut out of our lives. Somebody whose hands are too big must be cut out of our lives. Somebody who talks too slowly must be cut out of our lives. Somebody who you know, and we'll name we'll give a name to this trait that we disapprove of, and then we'll ridicule them behind their backs. That's that's what the show was. And, and then uh, you get upset and outraged when you have no no friends left nobody who wants to do anything with you because hey you're just going to be a judgmental prick afterwards yeah or suggest watching television or yeah. talking or talking about that really funny seinfeld episode i uh, yeah and and, uh, and that can, that is the opposite of what happens in a room live in a room live something electric happens um in a it, it, and it's one of the comics uh whom i argued most with in my youth, uh, Sam Kinison. Do you know who Kinison was? Yeah, I had a feeling. Oh, yeah. He was well, a I, I believe. I believe I. I do. Um, it, it, I believe. Yeah. He was a big deal in the 1980s. He died in the late 80s or early 90s. Um, he was one of the reactionary right wing comics at the same thing, time that Andrew Dice Clay was coming up. This guy was a wonderful joke writer, <laughs> but his he was an uh, a Southern evangelical at heart. He came out of. Mm. Uh, the evangelical church his dad was a, a minister he had worked in the tent revivals and he could work up the energy of a tent revival he would do it he would pace the stage and he would sweat and he would take you on a ride with his jokes and then sometimes he would just scream his rage at women are you married are you thinking about getting married think about what it's going to feel like to wake up every day to this like that was all he did was he shocked <laughs> people with the amount of screaming rage he had yeah by using vulgarity and uh um shock value he was able to create the illusion that he was somehow cutting it and he reinforced a great many stereotypes because comedy can as much as it can reveal it can also undermine if enough people believe a thing that you can trigger them all to have the same thought even though it's a lie the, the trickle still works. if the what I call the Masonic capstone of the joke, the thing that the audience has to listen, has to think in order for the joke to work. If that Masonic capstone is, oh yeah, it would be better if all those people were dead. There's a problem with the joke. If it's, what do you call this many of this group going off a cliff in a bus? And the answer is a good start. There's a problem with the joke. And I don't care what the group of people is. I don't care yeah. if it's ethnic or professional. I don't care if it's Swiss or lawyers, right? It's, once you're deciding who needs to die and reinforcing that through a joke, you're using it for evil. The thing you fit into the joke is, yeah. oh, right, because Jews are cheap. Then there's a problem with the joke. If the thing you have to fit in is, oh, right, because blacks are stupid and lazy. There's a problem with the joke. It's based on a lot. For those who laugh at them, reinforces the stereotype or the, 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 because laughing at it creates a sense that it must be true. 
Um, which is why I am so rigorous about what I say. I had a joke years ago. Oh, this also refer brings us back to that feeling of when the audience responds, that rolling laughter that you were talking about. And by the way, you should feel that from the position of the guy who creates it. Pretty extraordinary. Um, I had a joke for years that I loved because it got an applause break and I am a, uh, an attention whore. The, the joke was that I had come out of, I got into Denny's restaurant at two in the morning after a show. Manager's gone home for the night. Waitress comes over to my table breastfeeding an infant. She says, can I get you all anything? I said, yeah, I'd like to have a children's menu, please. Now, uh, this always got a laugh requesting the children's menu. Ha ha ha. After uh, Rob Reiner's movie came out, uh, for a long time, one in three times, someone would shout, I'll have what he's having. And then I could top them with my punch and get a better mm -hmm. laugh and applause break. And then it was pointed out to me that it's inherently sexy. There's a single woman, uh, probably a single mother, breastfeeding her infant. I see her as an object for my sexual gratification. That's a problem. So I changed the joke. Now it's about my sister, uh, who is gay. And uh, I used to say that my sister is gay. I love her like a brother. But uh, I try really hard to be honest in my work. And I, I don't. I don't like her at all. Uh, but uh, <laughs> she is the mother of a beautiful uh, daughter, uh, now in her 20s, who was deliberately conceived in a loving act between my sister and a turkey baster uh, filled with mail-ordered sperm. Uh, just one of the, the reasons I'll no longer have Thanksgiving dinner at my sister's place. And uh, I... Uh, my sister was fired from a job uh, as a bartender mm -hmm. because they found out that she was breastfeeding her infant in a back room on a break at an establishment that proudly displays posters of the course. Because we oh. live in a bizarre society where it's okay to use breasts to sell beer, but not to feed children. Yeah. Now, I consider that a much better joke than... Can I see a children's menu? It doesn't get as big a laugh in club. And there are comics who will say, if it doesn't get a big as la a laugh, it's not a better joke. I did that joke in front of David. S David Sedaris is a humorist, an author whose work I love and who had me opening for him for a while when he was on the West. Yeah. And I did the story that has that joke in it in front of his audience. And unlike nightclubs, it gets some response, but not the big laugh that I want to suck on tits. Yeah. Um, when I did it in front of David's audience, it got that laugh that rolls to the back of the room and then an applause break that rolled back up toward me. Oh, because wow. when, when you find the right audience for the, uh, when you find the people who are really working in the same frequencies that you're working, uh, you begin to discover that the energy you create the magic you do becomes increasingly powerful and and we we begin to find our way into the right environments in the right group because if we choose how we use our power in this case because i chose to throw away a joke that i recognized a flaw in to replace with a more nuanced joke mm -hmm. that has a more limited audience i was able to become more authentically who i wish to be and more appealing to the people who are most likely to benefit from what i offer this is um, a good a uh, good comment from uh, from Ingwas. um Good storytelling is also about creating contrasts. Invoke the feeling of cold, making it necessary to crave for warmth or part of a drama. Be That's convinced. nice. The idea of invoking the feeling of cold to make it necessary to crave warmth is really interesting as a storytelling technique. I use, there's a, I, I'm rubbing my fingers because there's a sensation that I've mentioned in a few different stories because I know what it does to a listener. I have different, uh, when I was a child, I have memory of sitting on a curb by sunlight uh, with my fingertips dragging back and forth over the rough surface of the pavement. 
And that sensation for me, once I discovered it as a memory trigger, I put it into things. I realized that it is the nature of the friction that allows people to fall into that memory instantly. And when he talks about invoking the feeling of cold, I don't know if Ingwes is a he or a she. Yeah. When when the when the, the, the white stork on green talks about <laughs> invoking the feeling of cold, uh, I had never thought about the idea that it causes people to crave warmth. But I do know that once I've made them feel cold, I can make them think anything I want. Thank you! Bless you. Thank you! Bless you. Thank you. No, yes, Cause it, no. Because at that moment, at that moment, once I made them feel cold, I've taken uh, literary control of their limbic. Yeah, and if that's, wow, that goes even even deeper. That's, that, yeah, that's. It's that powerful imagine. It is, it is. When magic. I slow down the breath of an audience, you watch Morris Less Marshall, I close that with a breathing exercise, which is a very weird mm -hmm. thing for a storyteller in comics to do. When I slow people's breath and, uh, send them into guided essentially guided meditation as a group yeah i am altering their physiology i can feel it from the stage when the front of the audience synchronizes their breath they don't know they're doing but as they're breathing together they all start to fall into the same rhythm they they, be, they become the single entity that they appear to be to me from the stage that's really cool i i i did watch that that show right before we uh, we get on i wanted to have some idea of of what you do of course and that's but that's that's really special if you can well, quite literally just by not even by asking them but just by telling them like close your eyes breathe deeply and they they do it they oh. have voluntarily given you control over well basically one of their most important motor functions you know breathing it's it's a huge the, act of trust the breath of life, quite literally, and you're taking over that control, or not even taking it over, they're giving you that control just because you told them, like, hey, you can trust me. And then I, I, I don't, I don't betray that trust. Yeah. Um, there's no pranking. There's no, it's, I'm really doing the thing. Look, I believe, let me start that sentence. Uh, I have come to believe that the things we think about doing, we imagine doing the, all of, all of the things we think about exploring or, uh, the things we didn't learn in school that we think might've been interesting to learn, but would be too hard. I guess we mm -hmm. don't do it for that ring, whatever, is something for which we have an epigenetic predisposition. And that because of the way we are indoctrinated, we are taught, we are treated, and I could give some specifics on this in a minute, those switches get turned off. We develop uh, anxieties, concerns, fears, pathologies, neuroses around the pursuit of those things that interest us. Yeah. And we stop learning. We stop expanding. That which is unknown feels a little scary and we don't want to go explore something unknown. We don't know what it is. It's terrible. I believe humans are designed to keep expanding, to keep learning. And that when we find that relaxed state that I share through the breathing exercise, when mm -hmm. we achieve the child mind, when we return to the state that we were in when we were learning constantly, before we were told that you will continue to do this until you're 18 and then you're a grown up and you stop, we re-initiate uh, the flow 
of energy through those epigenetic switches. And by continuing to go at something, we can flip them off. Um, I, when I began studying martial arts, I was in my late 20s and believed I was non-athletic. I'd been a non-athletic child. I'm asthmatic. I became a master mm -hmm. by continuing to do it and returning to this state of openness, even when it created anxiety and fear. Uh, my next solo show uh, premiering on June 20th at the Improv in L.A. at 9.25, at 9.15, um, uh, my new show has music in it, songs with the guitar. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I did the work on it, it, it terrified me to play and sing in public. And I began to do the memory work to discover all these moments when a choir teacher told me just to mouth the word, you're ruining it for everyone. When wow. my mother was frustrated by the sound of me getting a note wrong and shrieked from the kitchen. So it felt as though I was causing her pain. And when I started noodling on the piano and she shouted, stop playing, you're supposed to practice. So even when I was you know, beginning to discover it in my own way, I was doing it wrong. All of these shut me down, right? Yeah, I was still drawn to it. I would sneak into music rooms in high school and college. I played guitar alone. I wrote songs secretly, played mm -hmm. them for friends, for my wife. To do it on stage just filled me with the terror that most people feel when they have to make a speech, right? I would get trembly in the way that I don't when I'm doing. Yeah. But I could tell that I had the epigenetic capacity for it because I'm drawn. And I sought out an instructor in guitar. And I sought out an instructor in voice. And by forcing myself to work past the anxiety, I created a new show that has the music in it, that's going to do new things, that's going to use new tools to change how people think. I suspect the next thing after that show will be mm -hmm. learning some things about financial life and how that works under capitalism. And then I think physics, right? Oh, okay. And I don't know what comes after that. And all the while I'm studying bardistry and druidism, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's no done. No. You don't get a black belt and then quick training. You get a black belt and then start training for the next uh, degree or the next style. Um, and it is only... Del not deliberate. It is only uh, indoctrinated belief that we should be something that stops us from continuing to grow and discover and do things. I, um, myself and um, Josh uh, Chalavash420, we kind of have developed a, a theory about learning as well, especially in school. They make it um, at, at school. Learning is it's not fun. It's not fun to do. You're just absorbing absorbing information and you know the best student in class is the one who can regurgitate that information best. That's basically that's basically all it is. Whatever you do afterwards, you know, that's that's up to you as long as you get an A on the test. That's you I know, know. You're, you're learning for the tech for the test, you're learning for the exam. That's really it. Like who still uses everything they learned in high school who still learned who still uses the things that they they learned in college honestly i've been doing this podcast for a little over a year now i have learned more doing my show doing this podcast talking with so many different people than i have in 18 years of school 18 years of sitting in a bench sitting behind a desk eight hours a day with a 15 minute break and a 30 minute break and just listening to the teacher drone on about things that I really didn't care. Um, 
Yeah, I you know I don't know what the public school system is like in the Netherlands. Um, well, I frankly I don't know what the public school system is like now in the Ameri in the United States. My wife teaches in the public school system. I have some idea, uh, and it has changed since I was in the public school dramatically because because of the anti intellectualism, the deliberate uh, uh, efforts to demonize uh, Child of Ash. Yes, it's a factory worker prep center. Our uh, public school system was designed to create uh, compliant, uh, reliable workers. Yeah. Uh, um, menial isn't, laborers. Isn't that uh, what the uh, the old Rockefeller said? I don't want a nation of thinkers. I want a nation of workers. Yeah. And, you know, to some degree, it's interesting. I, I think a lot of humans are designed, are, are really enjoy hard work, physical labor. And uh, there are people who, are, who really enjoy that. It can be very uh, rewarding, definitely. It, uh, yeah, uh, but what we don't have is a system that allows people to find what they enjoy and do it for the reward of doing it. We have a system that encourages people to find whatever position allows them to make the most money without feeling discomfort in their uh, psyche. And I, I don't, I don't think that's a good way to accomplish anything important. I'm, I'm a big fan of discomfort. It's a really good growing tool, really. I mean, nobody likes discomfort. Nobody wants to to feel discomfort. Nobody wants to to go into that unknown future because you know as you said we don't know what lies beyond it we don't know what's going to happen but we want to know and we want to know before it happens but we don't we can't so therefore we're just that's know, a lie things. that's a lie you can know what is coming if you decide yeah. what you will be doing and that oh, it's so okay. hard to yeah. recognize it's so hard to to get out of the habit we don't know the future i do I know that tomorrow I'm having lunch at Marmalade at one with a friend. I know that piece of the future. Yeah, I know okay. I know that uh, on Sunday I am going to the screening of my film, uh, my first film, at uh, the Marina yeah. Del Rey Film Festival. Awesome. I know that. That's what I'm doing at that time. I know pieces of the future. And the most successful people, those, you know, those, those wealthy people who build companies, mm -hmm. they're not going with the flow. They're making a plan for next week. They're figuring out how their time is being used. They are defining their future instead of awaiting it to find out what it is because they can't see it. That's that. Yeah, it's it's something. I'll uh, you know, as you said, I need I need to get out out of that. <laughs> yeah. that habit because I you know I know damn well what my future is gonna be like. Heck, you know, here on uh, on Streamyard on the online studio, I have a whole list of things that are. In my future, people I will be talking with in the future. So, so you yeah, do those, know some things about the future, and now you get guess, to make decision. Now that you can see that, now you get to make decisions. What do I want to have in my future? How do I move forward toward that? Huh? That's that's really the what did you call that? Um, that magic Calend practice, calendrical magic, calendrical the magic of the calendar, magic. the magic of the calendar, looking ahead, putting dates on things creating a spell of time calendrical magic i i like that i i love that that's that's definitely something with your permission of course that i will uh try and introduce into oh, uh, by all means. into the tribe into the tribe of the rare pagans because i think we can we can learn a lot from that because you know as you said we're always like we can see the future we can plan the future but if you 
want to accomplish something like the the tip you gave me with my fiance coming over here to europe don't don't be vague don't be like oh in like around that time like somewhere in the summer of you know summer 69 i don't know um then she should be here yeah it's like so you're being very vague and you're saying shoulds as in there is a possibility that she's not yeah it's and that's that's something i'm still learning it's... she is she's the magic practitioner she's the witch um or the I'm, I'm a heathen so but we learn from each other absolutely i you know it's lovely th this idea to me that you will adopt that and share it because i don't talk a lot i don't i don't have a lot of people to talk to about the pagan stuff you know <laughs> i talk about the business i talk about the arts i talk about the because this stuff uh i work on in my own journal and i use it to help try to save the world in the small ways that i can. Mm -hmm. and i so rarely really get to discuss the the inner workings of it and the idea that my calendrical magic might start to find take might take root and really start to move forward is, is exciting think about it this way man one of the very first things we know of the ancient pagan is that they understood solstice general people knew that it gets really cold and dark for a long time but then it, it, it tends to get warm again and then somebody had the ability to say no no this is when it is at its coldest and darkest what you should do yeah. is you should celebrate with a lot of light just to get through these dark days i promise you the sun will be reborn and then and then you know christianity comes in and says oh yeah let's make that the birth of the sun well s-o-n-s-f <laughs> s-u-n yeah. yeah yeah it's a it's, spelling it's, issue yeah I mean, literally and magically. Um, yeah. yeah, it's. I'm. I'm actually. Um, I am writing a a, a book myself about uh, about all of these things. With the, the main thought being, how do we apply uh, ancient knowledge in this modern world? Um, okay. Let me know if you want coaching or workshops. That's what I do. Oh, I definitely. I. Uh, I. I would love to. I have your. Uh, your contacts uh contact absolutely now so uh if i have any questions i'll be sure to uh, to contact you it's it's a, a major project and never imagined that i uh i would i i do love writing both my um late brother and my uh my younger sister they um they are script writers or my brother was a script writer my sister still is a script writer she'll actually be uh graduating from the um amsterdam film academy this year actually her movie uh the ticket sales for her graduation movie are um they should be going on sale the 20th so um Sweet. very very proud of them very and being creative and especially with writing it's something that's uh that really runs in the family it's something we're really uh really good at with um well, Sinterklaas, the like typical Dutch Flemish holiday. It's it's kind of like Dutch Christmas. Um, Santa Claus, Sinterklaas, it's all derived from it. But um, my dad used to, um, or still does, write most of the the letters from Sinterklaas just because he's so good at it, and he'll he'll show off every now and then and just be like, okay, dad we get it you're good okay <laughs> but yeah it's it's uh, it's a love we uh we share it's a love that has been uh definitely has been 
passed down through the, the generation. Yeah. Yeah, the the, the, gene, the genetic predisposition uh, that can take over in the arts uh, in gymnastics. There's a woman with no legs uh, in, in California. She's a uh, an aerialist. She does silks, right? She does the gymnastic mm -hmm. silks. She flies around it for some uh, circus. She was born without legs, put up for adoption in Romania, uh, adopted into the U.S., uh, and wanted to do gymnastics. So her parents mm -hmm. said, okay. And so this legless girl sort of bounces and flips on her hips and does all this stuff and becomes a gymnast and then grows up to become this thing. Her hero is uh, a Romanian gymnast, uh, Olympic gymnast. Turns oh, out, wow. turns out, it's her sister. Her, <laughs> no parents, her parents, being gymnastics instructors with a you know an incredibly talented daughter who's going into the Olympics, have no use for a legless daughter. So they put who, her up for adoption. Who can't be the gymnast they're expecting her to be in. in and their... the genetics are so strong that in a different country, without legs, she is able to say to her adopted parents, I want to do gymnastics. I want to do what that girl does. That's really cool. They wound up becoming friends. Oh. Um, that it's that's really, really like that's, that's really epigenetic cool. predisposition. That's what I'm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's well, that's that's another good science to uh, to dive into genetics and but the not science today. behind it. No, 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 not not today. We <laughs> we've been uh, going for uh, well, a good a good two hours. Uh, that's what happens when you uh, when you just have a, a good conversation going. Uh, it happens. This is what I realized. I'm autistic. And I have deep dive interest in things. And once someone starts asking me about them, I won't shut <laughs> up. I do this about the martial arts. I do it about paganism. I do it about comedy. My special interests just happen to be ones that other people can tolerate me talking about. I'm just going, there are a lot of different kinds of dinosaurs. They're the big brontosaurus ones. And they're the, you know, my, my interest is in <laughs> comedy. Yeah. And, and I, I love hearing those. I love hearing the stories. I love hearing what you know what people have to say. And if I can make a comment about it, if I can go uh, go a little deeper in on it, uh, then it turns into a two plus hour podcast. <laughs> it an absolute joy. You seem like a delightful human. Well, thank you. Um, is there anything that you uh, that you want to plug? Anything that you want to? Active Voice for yourself. Go to Active Voice Productions. Find out what I'm doing at Active Voice Productions. Go to DylanBrody.com. Find out what I'm doing at DylanBrody.com. The new show is called Thinking Aloud, A-L-L-O-W-E-D, uh, world premiere at the Improv on June 20th. And, of course, Lockdown 2020, the feature film, a minor motion picture release from Active Voice Productions starring uh, Kate Orsini, Bonnie Hunt and Tova Felchu. Awesome. Uh, I will make sure to uh, to put that all up in the description. I will have to probably edit the description uh, description box a bit because I I put it all in there and I believe I'm reaching character limits. Um, <laughs> it's it's just so much. Like it's a laundry list of things. Um, Robert Altman. Robert Altman. Uh would not have survived the age of Twitter. He never did anything with fewer than 240 characters. <laughs> uh, Twitter, oh, Twitter can be horrible when it comes to that. I, uh, luckily, that's why uh, there are things like uh, like Substack 
for example, where you can just yeah. read entire articles, barely a character limit, uh, or for social media minds, for example, it's kind of Facebook, it's kind of YouTube, it's kind of Twitter. It's like if those platforms had a child, um, like actual free speech, not like Elon Musk's <laughs> speech, uh, <laughs> then, um, yeah, but so this has been, uh, this has been absolutely great. Uh, Ch Child of Ash, uh, he is hey, 420. In, uh, in chat to, uh, to have you join the, the main channel uh, that's it is on Telegram, but we are on we are in and can be found in so many places. Um, Send me the info. I will join you. I you know I'm studying with the I don't remember what the organization is called, but I'm studying bardism with the organization of obads and druids, and uh, I have no idea what your tribe's main channel is, but I would be delighted to hang out sometime and find out what you're up to. I will put it up in the. Uh, private chats um and you know plug it for the for the show as well the tribe of the grand pagans uh nice. you can find everything we do everything we have on uh www.grayhornpagans.com um it is our main website the Greyhorn pagans podcast is a project of the Greyhorn pagans we are doing many more things um Child of Ash has his own substack where he writes about uh, a lot of things. Paganism goes very much into um, oh, what we mentioned way, way early in the. the I wasn't listening. Neither was I. So <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, Child of Ash has his own substack. Like, uh, check that out. It's uh, it's amazing. Um, yeah. I, that's our main Telegram channel where uh, most of the conversation is happening. That is t.me forward slash, uh, forward slash Greyhorn Pagans, not forward slash Tripods. But we are indeed the Tripods Greyhorn Pagans. Uh, this has been a amazing, amazing show with my, with my guest, Mr. Dylan Brody. Dylan, thank you so much for coming on thank you for um for reacting thank you for for wanting thank to you for having on. me it's a delight to talk to you it's been a blast most definitely and um yeah we'll we'll keep in touch uh i look forward to it man i think i've subscribed to all the sub stacks uh over at uh Greyhorn. okay that's that's awesome. Um, it's it's a good place to start. So the the Substack is a uh, is a good place to start, and we are on so many other platforms doing so many different things as a tribe, as individuals, tribal elders, the Jarl, the Fru, you name it, we're doing. So thank you all for listening. Thank you all for watching. Thank you all who were active in the chats. We definitely love all the all the comments we uh, it's always helps progressing the conversation especially if they uh, they are comments um like what ingwa said about invoking the feeling of cold making it necessary to crave for warmth which is so beautifully put so yeah thank <laughs> thank you all uh don't forget to like share subscribe comment um, if you're listening to this on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, we are now on Apple Podcasts. By the way, I finally made it happen, which will say unnecessary hassle. Uh, Google, just wherever you find the 
the the podcasts give it that sweet sweet five-star rating that every other good podcaster is begging for um i've been stein fox host of of the Grammar Pagans podcast, you're all the Grammar Pagans with my guest Dylan Brody. Thank you all, and we will see you later. Oh, let Child of Ash.